1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host hi i'm alexis the midwife and i'm becky the doula Welcome to Notes from the Mother
0: Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. Today we have a very special guest join us to talk about baby loss, and whilst these conversations are hard and can be triggering for some, we feel that they are important and that these angel babies need to be remembered. But please do be kind to yourself and only listen if you are feeling well and strong enough to hear emotional conversation. Today we welcome Faye Ansell.
1: Faye lost her son to a rare disease called A.N.E. in March 2020 and has built up Grayson's legacy support since then with her partner and Grayson's dad, Craig. Faye bravely reached out to us to talk about her family and building up a legacy for her beautiful boy Grayson. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today, Faye. Thank you lady. Thank you. it's an honor to have you on the show darling
0: and i have to say because i was, we were obviously looking on your website and what a beautiful boy
2: his oh, eyes absolutely oh, absolutely so just gorgeous. i mean i'm biased but he <laughs> was just he was and is and always will be just absolutely incredible yes stunning yeah
0: (laughs) very very wise eyes doesn't he you sort of look and you're like oh very knowing
2: yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we saw that Grayson was born on the 19th of March no 19th of May 2019 and you described having the most incredible pregnancy a magical birth and a healthy happy baby boy yes um if you can can you take us back to your pregnancy and birth what what was it like for
2: you absolutely so it it like I say it was an incredible pregnancy um I just felt the best I've ever felt it was just incredible I just felt like I was glowing throughout the whole you know the whole pregnancy um the first couple of I knew I was pregnant because I was snacking so much. I sort of just had the <laughs> hunger snacks. And yeah. um, the ladies at my work were like, yeah, we knew something was going on, Faye, because you just like slyly opened up your drawer and was nibbling on ginger nut biscuits, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't I didn't complain once during my pregnancy. It, I just had the most amazing pregnancy. Um, and he was supposed to be due on the 10th of May and Uh of course he didn't come then um and I had I think I went in for two sweeps in the end um and then we did all the you know trying the raspberry leaf tea and sex and all of that business and it eventually happened and I uh, my contractions started at home and um I sort of I went in because as you know as they say if they're a, a minute apart and they're lasting mm. for two minutes and that happened quite quickly um but when I went in I was like no you're only a centimeter no you're only three oh, centimeters <laughs> so hard isn't it And you're like how <laughs> how am I but I kind of managed it really well and I didn't put too much pressure on myself I just mm. uh, you know when um the midwife said to me you know what's your birth plan I was like him being here safely yeah. You know I couldn't care less which way that is but I just mm-hmm. want him here safely and they were like amazing <laughs> that's yeah. what we want <laughs> um I said if I can have a water birth great if not, it's not a problem. So, I was sent home and I was having contractions all through the night. And my mum came round and Craig and her were sort of taking it in turns to sleep. Um, and I was just kind of resting on the windowsill, rocking myself as you do. And then in the early mornings, I said, "I've not really felt him move very much." So I called the um, pregnant uh, the unit, and they said, "Come in and we'll check." And yeah, they checked, and I think I was about four and a half centimeters at this point. And they're like, "We're we're going to keep you in," um, mm-hmm. and it was really hard to kind of get his heartbeat they wasn't kind of getting the position right and they was like we can't put you in in you know for a water bath I think you just need to be monitored a little bit but yeah it was all absolutely fine that was in the early hours of the morning I think about five six o'clock and then sort of I was just having contractions during the day they s- sort of said lay down on the bed and of course the contractions stopped and I was like yeah, no yeah. I want to stand <laughs> up I want to stand up but I was hooked onto a monitor so I couldn't really go far so I was just kind of like dawdling around the bed um and yeah it just i just had gas and air which i was you know really proud about and um that kind of was just at the last stages when Mm -hmm. that mooing came um which was it was just it was really weird so my mum and craig they still say it now i was kind of just resting on the side of the bed and then i just dropped to the floor and was like "Mm," and i was like and then i just stood up and went what happened there? Like, literally, what happened? It's yeah. so like, instinctive, isn't
0: it? You yeah. sort of almost, you know, you, we, we do all this training, but actually your body naturally makes yes. you do what it needs, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and do you know what? I
2: say it now, even when I, I speak to, you know, I've had a few friends that have had babies after, and I've just said, you know, and I said, the mm. only way I can describe it is when you need to be sick and your body pushes it up it's in reverse yeah and they're like wow that's and that's you know that's the only way I can describe it is literally in reverse and yeah and then after a couple of pushes I sort of laid on the bed and I've got a a curved cervix so he just kind of got caught there a little bit so they helped me they did a cut um and yeah and then he they kind of pushed the button which everyone went into panic mode and I was still sort of chin deep in you know the pushes <laughs> yeah. um, didn't even notice my mum was stood behind Craig just crying her eyes out so I'm one of six <laughs> so she kind of was oh, like wow they've they've pushed the button that this means you know this is serious sort of thing but it wasn't they just all came in everyone took yeah. their places which was just great and I didn't know any any different you know yeah um, and they did a little snip and he came out yeah wow. it was just incredible and yeah just the most amazing feeling and he was absolutely perfect in every way absolutely perfect he looks absolutely
1: perfect and then you 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 go home as a family and we all have that experience where you take this little bundle home with you and you're like oh my goodness now we're a family and we've got this (laughs) little person and we've got to look
2: after them what was the postnatal period like for you and craig do you know what i really struggled um Mm -hmm. And I'm very open and honest about that. So I've worked in childcare my whole life. So mm. I'm a qualified child carer, one of six. Always wanted yeah. to be a mama. You know, knew that I wanted that. Um, I was always sort of the sibling that always looked after all the other children and really helped my mum out. And my mum was sort of single parent for the majority of her life. Um, and yeah I just I just knew that that was what I wanted to do but it was a shock it was an absolute Mm. shock to me so Craig does shift work over at the airport so he does sort of four on four often he was doing nights and days Mm. and yeah it was it was I struggled I massively struggled and I I didn't think I expected it and when I speak to people they go no you didn't you was an absolute amazing mum and I'm happy to admit I really did struggle because it was like you say that He, he relied on me for everything. Mm, And he had a tongue tie, which didn't get picked up on for quite a while. So we struggled quite a lot um, Mm. with sleeping and feeding and everything like that. And I just, I was sleep deprived, which I didn't Mm. think I'd ever be because I've always been a horrendous sleeper myself. And I just struggled being on my own. You know, yeah. during the day, understandable
1: phase. Yeah,
2: and I'd sort of Completely. always worked since I was sixteen. You know, when I was doing my uh, my childcare course, I was working three jobs around that. And to yeah. all of a sudden not be working, it was alien to me. I was like, mm, I don't like yeah. this. You know, I haven't. I'm not working. I didn't feel like I was doing anything. You know, and yeah. I know I was a mummy, but I didn't feel like I had a purpose. You know yeah. it, it was re- it was a really yeah. strange sensation but sort of after those first couple of months it then started to change when I got out and about and we were starting to do classes and um you know just things eased up a little bit of those sort of those newborn stages as such
0: I
1: yeah. think that is so
0: normal and
1: and Becky and I certainly felt the
0: same yeah we'd I'd supported women for years and years supporting women and you think you know it all, and then suddenly you're like, "I don't know anything." You know, I've never because when it's you doing it, it's very different, isn't it, to looking after somebody else or somebody else's exactly. baby? You're like,
2: "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that, exactly yeah. that. And I just constantly doubted myself. I, you know, mm. I doubted myself that I was enough for him, and mm. was I doing enough to make him happy? And you know, just all of that sort of stuff. And also, I just wanted, I wanted to keep Faye. Yeah you know, and that's why sort of we we you know we'd always planned that when we when we were starting our family that I would always go back to work because I wanted that little Mm. bit of me and I didn't feel like you know I was trying to do everything you know I'm a bit of a clean freak so by the time Craig got home I I I wanted to be this perfect person if I still cleaned the house and I had the dinner on the table for him and all the washing was done and you know we was all bubbly and happy and actually what it was is when Craig walked through the door I handed Grayson over to him and just broke Mm. down in tears half the time and and Craig's like what's the matter with you and I was like I just I just need to go and make the dinner because I just need that (laughs) time for myself you know I know it's difficult to describe
1: it isn't it when you're with the baby all the time and I think it's it's funny you say that thing about the dinner I remember um some parents that I taught antenatal classes to saying to me when her partner came in in the evening he thought he was being helpful by saying you know what you just sit down and relax with the baby and I'll make dinner for you and she was like no no you take the baby (laughs) I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine and make dinner and listen to a podcast and I'm going to do that for 20 minutes I'd, I'd rather you didn't come and disturb me during that time and i think that's so uh, that's absolutely okay and that gives you a little bit of time out to recharge your batteries just to time it. and it's those little micro moments of looking after yourself i think that make a huge difference and also the other thing i just want to come back to quickly is that you said that you had these expectations of being this amazing mum because of all your experience and then you felt like you weren't you were you were absolutely absolutely were and I think we all feel like that in those postnatal days but you were exactly what grace and needed of course
0: yeah yeah
2: Yeah. yeah, no yeah and I and I sort of know that now and I've kind of been through that I've punished myself Mm. quite a lot um Especially in this past year, I've punished yeah. myself that I couldn't do more for him. He was my baby and I should have mm. been able to protect him. Um, yeah. And I now know that mm. there was nothing I could do and there was nothing the doctors and nurses could have done. Mm. You know, so how could have I done anything different? So
0: We do like to punish ourselves as mothers, don't we? That's one thing. If I could take anything away from any mum is that, yeah. that kind of self-punishing that we do yes but we've
1: we've seen the um the little video you have on your website on Grayson's website that Craig put together and this is a little baby Grayson and if anyone goes to your website we'll put the information in the show notes so that they can see it there's a beautiful beautiful little video that craig i, be, I think craig's made it and he's speaking over isn't he and yeah. there's footage of you as a family with grayson and he was the cheekiest little child oh, yeah.
0: he? <laughs> <laughs> he really really was honestly and laugh, laughing all the time oh, like i was know. actually laughing along with him when i was watching it i was like yeah.
2: oh, <laughs> he he just was the most smiley baby you know of course he had his moments absolutely yeah they, yes. but, I love the bit know. where he
0: climbs into the dishwasher I know, and yes. he gives you that they all do it don't they they give you that look of like what what like <laughs> yeah
2: and you know what the yeah. thing was is I was hanging out washing at that point, and you can hear me in the background going Grayson down get down he's like but dad's let me up here dad was emptying the dishwasher and he's purposely left the door open for me to climb on whereas you mum you really quickly whip the door yeah. up dad hasn't he's left it open for me to climb I'm in. I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh,
1: fun dads.
0: I oh, no. <laughs>
2: Literally. So
0: funny.
2: But yeah, no, he just was, he was, he, you know, it was something that we wanted really on, like, I mean, he was born in the May and my birthday was the 28th of June. And so he was what, only six weeks at that point. And we spent a night away from him. You know, we went to the cinema, we had a meal out and we, and he slept, you know, he slept over at Nana's house. And mm. and I said that from the very, very, you know, start. I don't want to make this hard on him because I knew mm. as a parent, I needed to go back to work, which meant he was going to go into nurseries. And obviously I've worked in, I'd worked in nurseries for yeah. eight years. So I yeah. know how difficult that can be. And I was like, I just want to make it easy on him. I want him to be enjoyed by as many people as he can. Like I know we're his parents and I want him all to myself, but I also want him to be enjoyed by so many people. So from the very sort of offset, he was with people um you know I would go to my mum's house and just go out to the shops and he would stay there or Mm -hmm. my sister would come over you know we wanted that and I'm so grateful that I did that now because they got to experience that time with him yeah Um, and it sounds like you have a gorgeous family a lovely big family our family is actually we've got I've got a really really small family obviously there's there's six siblings but we are a really small family but yeah we we've always been really close we've had quite a lot to deal with Mm. as a family um you know in in terms of sort of our past and growing up and Mm. things and and yeah I think Grayson's death has definitely brought us closer Mm. you know um it's one of the things that's come out of it that's most probably Mm. a positive and that sounds ridiculous to say but it is but these things
0: they do make you sort of pull together,
2: don't yeah, they? So absolutely. can you tell us a little
0: bit about when Grayson became poorly? Like how did you how did you realise he was unwell?
2: Yeah. So on the Tuesday uh before Grayson passed away he um woke up with a high temperature um -hmm. and he was teething he was cutting both of his top teeth and had been for a while but you know you could really see them at that stages of really pushing Mm -hmm. through and he had rosy cheeks and snotty nose and you know all of that sort Mm -hmm. of thing so you put it down to teething as you do and you know I gave him cowpole and ibuprofen and it it brought the temperature right down and he was just he was still fine in himself you know he was Mm -hmm. eating fine he was playing you know he was a really lovable baby but all so he want you know he would always get up to mischief you know so he'd be he'd be, <laughs> want to be on his own exploring and so that went on for two days but he was having the cowpaw and the and it was bringing it back down he was sleeping well at night time mm. he was still eating really well he was a really big foodie which I absolutely loved about him <laughs> he loved his food and on the thursday he woke up and his temperature was very very slight it wasn't as high as it had been but he was Mm -hmm. quite groggy and he just wanted to lay on us and i was like he's still not quite right so maybe he's fighting a bit of a viral infection Mm -hmm. um and we went throughout the day he had his normal lunch he then had his sleep after lunch and when he woke up he sort of was just laying on me and he just sat up and just vomited everywhere Mm -hmm. and i thought Mm -hmm. this isn't right, we're going to, we'll call the doctors and see if we can get an, an appointment. So this was about 3.30 in the afternoon. And I called the doctor and obviously because, I mean, COVID was was around, obviously it was very well known, but we hadn't yet gone into lockdown at that point. So right. our doctor said, oh, we'll do a um, a video call with you. And at this point, by the time they had called back, he had gone back down for a sleep. So they said, oh, can you just sort of wake him up and lift up his vest and we'll check his breathing. And of course, he woke up and he was giving the the doctor all the smiles on the camera and just wanted to keep grabbing the phone and kissing it. Um, And they just said, yeah, we think he's um, fighting a viral infection and we think it might be a throat infection, hence why he's vomited. So what we'll do is give him overnight if his temperature spikes again we'll just prescribe you antibiotics in the morning yeah. and I said okay that's fine um, and we decided to set up camp downstairs because he had already vomited over the carpet downstairs so I just thought instead of spreading it around the bedrooms we'll just <laughs> yes. set up camp downstairs yeah. um, and we set up his travel court and he didn't want to be in it he just wanted to be with us so we kind of took it in turns during the night to have him laying on us and since he had vomited he kind of was in and out of a sleep which I now know was a semi-conscious state which comes Mm. with the A&E. It kind of kills me to know that um, and that we hadn't got him further into the the hospital at that
0: point. But you wouldn't have known would you because the thing is like you say all babies get viruses and it's exactly you know they get a fever they're a bit sleepy they vomit you know there's no way that you would have known it could have been anything more, could you? No,
2: exactly. And he... At this point, he hadn't had obviously any dinner because he was just in and out of his sleep. Mm. And the doctor said, if he wants food or if he wants um, a bottle, just just give it to him and see how he goes. So at 10 o'clock, he sort of woke up for a period of time and he was quite alert. So we made a, I think it was a four ounce bottle because he was Mm. having like eight, he was having like a dinner and then still an eight ounce bottle at night time. You know, he really liked his food and he was a chubby little one. So um, I gave him four ounces and I thought, let's just see if he keeps that down. And he did, and he went back to sleep, and then he woke up at midnight, so I gave him another four-ounce, because bearing in mind, mm. he hadn't had his afternoon bottle, his dinner, mm. and his evening yeah. milk at that point. So I gave him another four ounces, took it, went back to sleep. And then in the early hours of the morning, so this was... Um, Time-wise, I think it was about 3.30 in the morning. He woke up and he had this high-pitched cry with no tears. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor had sent us a sepsis information when we had spoke to her the day before. She said, it's just something to look out for. Mm. Um, and that was obviously one of the, th- the, the common signs of sepsis. Yeah. So I thought, this isn't right. We're going to call for an ambulance. So we called 999 mm. and they didn't deem him as you know as as needing an ambulance um they okay. said his breathing's fine and once again i think it was down to covid they were you know they just weren't coming out so mm. they said we're going to put you through to an emergency doctor they'll give you a call back and about 15 minutes later a doctor called back and they said is that him crying in the background and we said yes and they said is that his usual cry?" crying was like no it's not and he said okay he said what i suggest you do is just pack up a bag take his bottles with you and just get yourself down to a yeah. and e so we kind of did that as it, and he just—he physically didn't want to go down. He wanted to be there. So Craig ran upstairs, got in his, you know, trackies, grabbed a few th- bits together for Craig, and then I did the same. And I got him in his car seat, and I sat next to him in the car. And he was sort of the high pitch cry continued, and Craig really put his foot down, um, mm-hmm. and he just his crying stopped, and then he his eyes just looked out to the window, and he started to have a seizure. Mm-hmm. um and i just ripped him yeah. out the car seat and i just said yeah. to craig go 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 yeah. go 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 i need you to get us to the hospital and we were literally about three miles from the hospital at this point point. Yeah. and i said to craig throw me the phone and i'm gonna call 999 to say we're on our way yeah and they said we need you to pull over And we need to get an ambulance to you because Grayson will get seen quicker if an ambulance comes to you than you getting to the hospital. Because you're going to have to explain everything a million times when you get Mm -hmm. to the hospital. So um, I was like, but we're we're literally, we are, it it would have taken us not even five minutes Mm -hmm. to get to the hospital. So we pulled over on the side and um, he continued to have a seizure and I was holding him and ambulance were driving past and we were flagging them and we were getting out and waving and they just kept driving and they weren't oh, going anywhere they didn't have the lights on and i was like an ambulance has just driven past and they're going it's not for you it's not for you um what was really frustrating is the ambulance that came had actually come from a more local hospital but they don't have a pediatric unit there right. so i was yeah. like if they had come to us at our house they would have got to us quicker Mm -hmm. yeah you know but obviously that's all the what-ifs and you try not to go there all the time and the ambulance came about 10 minutes later so we would have been at the hospital even Mm. you know before that but an ambulance came and I just ran into the back of the ambulance with him and um they gave him some anti-seizure drugs um Mm. which did calm down the physical seizure actually physically but they don't believe that it stopped internally um And Craig got in the car and drove to the hospital and I was in the ambulance with Grayson. And um, the reason that they said is they, uh, because of COVID, they had a a bed set up in resus for him. He didn't need resuscitating, but they had a bed, you know, set up for him with doctors and nurses all around. um, And we just went straight into Mm -hmm. resus, which we was told that we wouldn't have done that if we had carried on the journey and they did what they needed to do they took various bloods and and um all of that and nothing his bloods were clear they were all perfect they could see absolutely no Mm. signs of anything and after a while they gave him the drugs that kind of bring you around out of a seizure Mm. And they brought the anesthetist down and they said we really need him to come around and at this point craig's dad and my mum had come down to the hospital mm. they said you know we really need to kind of give him a shake give him a good shake and you know call him you know that sort of thing so we was doing that and he started to come around he was doing a few really big coughs and i was like that's what we need him to do we need him he wasn't pumping out enough carbon dioxide right. he mm-hmm. was yeah. you know so they were like, we really need him to do that. His blood pressure was perfect. All of his blood works were great. They didn't see anything in that, and he kind of was coughing, 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 and then he just stopped. And they was just like, he's just not, he's just not pumping out enough carbon dioxide. Mm. We really need him to do that. So they took him down for a scan, um, and they said that they saw some really small abnormalities on the left side of his brain, and his he had a localized seizure, so all of the right side of his body was where the seizure was at so there were some minor small abnormalities on the left side of his brain which they said you generally will see in a child Mm -hmm. that has had a seizure and they said we're going to speak to john radcliffe because obviously they're a they're a sort of a neurology Mm -hmm. department and specialist, and we may get him transferred over and they had the chat and they sent the scans over and they just said um He's not bringing himself around. We think he's still seizuring because they were lifting up his eyes and they were still sort of moving quite rapidly. And they said, we are, I think we're going to intubate him and and move him. And I kind of didn't really know what that meant. And because of COVID, it was really difficult. Like we couldn't go down with him to be completely honest we most probably shouldn't have even been in the room you know they shouldn't have allowed craig's dad and my mum in at that point um mm. as well and what we later found out is that actually what John Radcliffe saw on the scans was a very very sick brain um, and a very unwell baby but what we were being told is that it was very minor and we were actually told from a member of um, the team that we'll see you in a couple of weeks he'll be back here you know um, and there's nothing to worry about and um, this is what you know this is what we often see so yes they took him down to be intubated and we had to just kind of sit in the cafe and they took us down to a little room and said showed us a brochure and said this is what you're going to see of Grayson when we put him in the ambulance and I'm really sorry neither of you can come in the ambulance with us because they had carried out a Covid test on Grayson at this point and hadn't yet got the results and it was hideous to look and um and see and the only way We saw Grayson just as they wheeled him out of the hospital and put him into the ambulance. Um, And, of course, that wasn't nice to see. Oh, awful. But they put him into the ambulance and they said, you know, he's going to go to the best place and Mm -hmm. just follow behind um, or go home, get some stuff and and then come to the hospital because they do need to get him settled. So you won't be able to see him immediately. So um, my mum went back to our house and got us and of course we just followed straight behind yeah. you know we didn't want to go home and um Grayson was taken to Piku once he reached John Radcliffe and um PICU and Niku had been split up so the children that had had a COVID test but hadn't yet got the results were taken to Piku, and all the children that were there were taken to NICU once they had their yeah. results back and um we went straight up to piku and it was really strange john radcliffe was empty yeah. it was like a ghost town yeah. and we went up there um so this was on this was friday at this point so he we got to um stoke mandeville hospital at about 6 a.m in the morning and he was transferred um at about 10 30 11 right. and we didn't get to see grayson until ten thirty that night um And we were put in a little family room and doctors kept coming and introducing themselves on different shifts. And they were trying to explain that what they had seen on the scans at Stoke Mandeville Hospital were now very, very different here and that they were trying to get him settled and on the various monitors. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. They came to get us at 10.30 and they said, oh, you can come and see your baby boy. Um, and just before we headed in, they said, um, we're just going to take you into this side room. And obviously at that point, you know, mm-hmm. um, something isn't right. Um, and we had a member of the nursing team, the um, Piku sort of main head doctor and a neurologist sat with masks on across the table, and the neurologist, neurologist just her eyes filled and she just said to us mm. i'm really sorry i don't know what's taking your baby boy and she was 30 years in practice mm. and she said i don't know what's taking your baby boy we are i'm just about to go on a call with um eight other doctors from around the uk mm. grayson is uh severely brain dead and he has whatever is taking him is causing severe brain damage and we are going to give him a course of um ivig which is an immunoglobulin i think Mm. that's um and it's basically immunity from other people's uh bodies at that point we were told that what had happened was irreversible Mm -hmm. if grayson was to make it through and the IVIG was to help him, he would be severely brain dead for the rest of his life. He most probably wouldn't be able to walk, talk, or eat again. And he, his body would make that decision for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we then went to see him. And of course, you can see him laying there, and it wasn't mm-hmm. out, he just wasn't the boy that we brought mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, they just said that this was... They hadn't ever seen a case of this at John Radcliffe before. So the neurologist went away and had her meeting and she came back and called us in and said, we believe that Grayson has A&E, which is abbreviated for acute necrotizing um, encephalopathy Mm -hmm. of childhood. I still don't fully understand it myself. You know, we're a year in and I still don't fully Mm -hmm. understand uh, what it is. But um, the test showed that Grayson had a mutation of his RAMBP2 gene, which um, obviously all of our genes... um, carry and uh, proteins that obviously are vital for our bodies and the R b 2 gene makes up the proteins for those vital organs mm. such as your brain and your liver mm. grayson had this genetic mutation um and what is really really difficult is that having that genetic mutation doesn't uh, grayson may never have been affected by it And what's really hard is that, um, I mean, Grayson was a healthy baby boy. He had broncholitis in the October before. And we actually ended up going to the hospital on like two occasions with that because of his breathing was so shallow and deep. And he was actually more ill then in the October than he was this time round. And I said, how did that not happen in October? And the problem with A&E is that they don't know there's no, there's, there's, there's no time frame that yeah. they can put on it, that it was that, you know, right. it was that point that triggered the, the A&E. And that's really hard to, I suppose, come to terms with, um,
0: yeah.
2: because you then, you know, I was saying to the doctors, so when did the A&E trigger, did the A&E trigger when we was in the car journey, when he had the seizure, or was mm. it, on the Tuesday had he just been going downhill mm. and it had been taking his brain since the Tuesday and they don't know, they can't mm. pinpoint it. They don't know what, you know, what that trigger is that, that triggers the A and E. And some people, well, we all live with gene mutations, but some yeah. of them do absolutely nothing at all. Mm. Um, and this mutation just so happened that it, you know, what he had a viral infection, which they believe was influenza A or influenza B which is flu, and they believe that there was just something that just took those levels over that that triggered Mm the A&E. And the seizure was his brain going, I can't cope no more. I can't cope with the the level of the temperature change and and what's happening. And and obviously that's why the seizure seizure triggered and that's why that happened. Um, Yeah, so we were told that and um, we were told that there is no treatment for A&E. There is a 30% mortality rate and 10% of cases have no effect whatsoever. You know, they will be, you know, as severe as Grayson was, and then they will just all of a sudden come out of a coma and be absolutely fine, you know, with no long lasting effects. So it's really difficult because when you read the stories for A&E... They're all very familiar, you know, they're all very, uh, sorry, similar um, in terms of what happens. And then when you see the outcomes of some of them, it's like nothing ever happened. And I'm thinking, why wasn't that Grayson? Yeah, Yeah. that
0: must have felt so unfair. Yeah, it's
2: just, you know, uh, and then you do you do read the cases. And I'm in contact with quite a few of the families where, you know, they are living with uh, severe brain damage and they won't ever walk Mm -hmm. again talk or be able to you know it's it's a horrendous yeah. disease and they actually class it as an ultra rare disease because of the amount of cases i think there's around about 300 cases known now and i think that's what's so frustrating it's really hard to accept is that how can something be so ultra rare when there are 300 cases yeah, you know yeah. it's yeah. um and it is known of um and what's I don't, it's it's really strange as we didn't when we left the hospital and I'll go back to sort of what happened overnight mm. um, we weren't able to go back to meet the doctors and the neurologists that treated Grayson until uh, I believe it was the end of June end of July because of COVID so oh, we were sent just, away from the hospital oh, with COVID. no real mm-hmm. understanding of what had happened to our son we spent the evening with him on that Friday night and obviously bearing in mind we only saw him at 10.30 and we weren't allowed to be by his bedside because of covid um and they said to us i'm really sorry we can't give you a, a place here in the hospital so they dragged a mattress into the staff room floor and that's we slept on the staff room floor um but the calves weren't open they managed to find us like an egg sandwich from somewhere but nowhere was open and they said if, if we're honest with you we should really be sending you home but i think at that point they knew the severity oh. of what was happening and we managed to i don't know how but we managed to get a couple of hours sleep i think it was just pure exhaustion yeah um, and when we woke up we went to see grayson and you could you could tell yeah that he had deteriorated and uh, the nurse that was overseeing him and I will always envision this lovely nurse Um, she had just returned from maternity leave herself and Mm. I just I felt horrendous that she was having to treat my baby and she had a newborn sat at home herself and that must have been so tough for her and I always think back to her and and. I'm I'm sorry that she had to do that. And she said to us he's had a really really good night but he's and his blood pressure dropped slightly but his um eyes were no longer dilated. And then the lovely Irish doctor came in um and she said to us do you know what that means? And I said no, but I kind of knew. And they said we're really sorry but medically we're taking this decision out of your hands it's it's fully taken over grayson's brain and we believe that there is now swelling that started to take place and they said we're going to take him down for another ct scan to just be sure of that but we believe that's um that's what's happened um and they did that and yes it came back that there was various parts that had now started to swell and it started to swell in other various areas so They said our options were to let it take its, you know, let it take its toll and he'll decide when it's enough or we control that ourselves. And we decided that we, as his parents, had to make that decision for him. We didn't want him to be in any, I know he wasn't in any pain, but we didn't want him to be in any pain and we didn't want it to take any more of him as such it was really hard because when we were there that you know the evening before I was sort of reading his favorite book off my heart as I did all the time (laughs) Mm. um follow that tiger and Mm. um I was singing to him and when when I was doing that his heart rate was raising so he knew we were there um which was just really lovely and um I suppose it's um, quite comforting to know that he knew we was there. Um, yeah. And um, our family came the next day. They weren't allowed in the hospital. They weren't allowed to see Grayson because of COVID. Um, so they just literally had to be in the car park. Um, yeah. So we went down and we told them uh, what we were having to do. So it was my sister and Craig's sister and then Craig's dad and my mum. So I don't have a dad. My dad passed away and Craig's mum's passed away as well. So they were in the car park and we told them what was happening. And we went upstairs and they had moved Grayson into a beautiful little side room. And um, it was painted on the wall with trees and it had squirrels and birds and it was one of Grayson's absolute favorite things you know we had in our dining room we had sort of a full glass window and we would always eat at the dining table and we would sit there and we would talk about the birdies and this we called them squiggles um (laughs) because we would always have squirrels and birds in our gardens and he just loved it he you know at 10 months old he was saying like bye birdies and mama and dada so the birdies um it just felt so you know yeah. so comforting for us and they brought the the lovely box in and they did the handprints and and all of that and um and we played some music and they took all of the tubes out and uh we held him and we told him how much we loved him and he lasted 20 minutes he breathed for 20 minutes and his heart continued for 20 minutes and they kept coming in and you know testing and they was like no he's still with you um which they were surprised you know he was a fighter and then we laid him down and we literally had to get our belongings and go we weren't allowed to stay um oh, we were sent home with some leaflets of basically what you do next um yeah. and that that was that basically we came home um that was on the saturday so um his death was at, at four fifteen, and um We came home, the Sunday was our first Mother's Day. (laughs) And then Monday, we were put in a national lockdown.
1: Losing Grayson at that point, just, it's just insult to injury, isn't it? It's, I can't, I can't even contemplate how that must have been for you. And all the restrictions were in place. And then thinking about having to go home afterwards and the whole world is going into lockdown. Yeah. And you've just lost your son
2: at yes. a
0: time when you need to be scooped up. You know, you know. It, ordinarily, you would be scooped up and looked after, and it's already a very, very isolating thing to happen, isn't it? Because, yes. You know, yes. like you say, you're in these side rooms and you're waiting and you're on your own quite a lot. Um, how did how did you guys get through that? Like, what did you do to kind of did, was there any support available for you? Um. So.
2: I mean, we broke the rules. Good. (laughs) We had to. um, Yeah, of course. I say we broke the rules when our parents came down. You know, the day we came home was beautiful sunshine. And I still, to this day, think that Grayson brought that to us. Um, So, you know, they would come into the gardens, you know, and that sort of thing. And um, it, it was you know, I don't know what the world is like when you, when your baby dies in normal times. All yeah, <laughs> we have to go by is COVID. Um, it was just horrendous, you know, every follow up that we had. So the postmortem, it all had to be done via a phone call recorded. Um, the funeral arrangements, we weren't allowed to the funeral directors. So and that was, I suppose, most probably one of our hardest things to deal with yeah. is putting your trust into someone that you've never met, yeah. and you know, we was trying to register Grace and Steph. I mean, that was hard enough as it was because. When we called the registry office where he was actually registered, which was obviously our local registry office, we explained everything that had happened. And um, and they were like, oh, well, we're, because of COVID, we're not really sure you're supposed to come in and you need to sign it in person. But obviously you can't do that. And I was like, but we need to register his death to start everything else. Yeah. And it was just to and froing of, well, you can't register his death. We need you to basically organise a funeral directors. And I was like, how, how do you start? that process you know yeah. how do i even do that um, and we called a lovely funeral directors um, actually that my mum works in a care home that they use yeah. and i suppose it was once again it's trying to claw at those only bits of comfort yeah. that you can and my mum said you know there are really lovely funeral directors and and i spoke to the owner and he was just amazing he just really said impressive. right you can't do this he said what is being asked of you And the fact that the world is falling apart and nobody knows what, you know, we were being told that we can't register our son's death, which means we can't start the funeral arrangements because we have to be there in person to sign all the death certificates. And we can't do that. And we're not allowed to go back to the hospital to collect the death certificates because they won't allow us in the hospital. So how do we do this? And I was explaining it to this lovely man. And he just said, give me your contact details for john radcliffe give me the details for the registry office and he just took it all from us and he was like you can't be doing this he said so he he sort of did it all and he came back to us and he said i'm going and he you know he drove from where we lived in bucks to john radcliffe to collect the death certificate to then bring them back to His funeral directors and we went and collected them, sort of doorstep sort of collection. And then we were able to then, no, sorry, he brought them back. Then he took them to the registry office, which was back in Oxford. And then he went back to the hospital to collect Grayson. And I just, there was one thing that stuck with us. And he said, I'm going to collect your baby boy and he's going to be safe with us because there's nothing worse for a parent that has completely lost control of everything that a parent should do yeah. to not know where your baby yeah. is. And yeah. I didn't know where he was. And, you know, we we opted for quite a limited post-mortem because the full post-mortem was a lot to take yeah. and yeah. it was a lot to, um, to take in. And um, we just need him to be somewhere where we know he's being yeah. cared for. And he was just a lovely lovely man and um, Grayson went back to the funeral directors and we arranged all the funeral by a phone call you know because we couldn't be there in person and uh, I, we took down the things that we wanted to be with Grayson and um, clothes and, and things for him which was his little mustard tracksuit. um uh, mustard <laughs> is our colour and he had his norm with him, his little monkey and and they you know they did say that you can come and see Grayson if you wish in the chapel of rest and we decided not to but my mum wanted to so my mum went there and she read him a book and and it was just nice knowing that the last I suppose the last person that saw him had done that for us and I will forever be grateful for my mum for doing that um Yeah, and we had his funeral, and there could only be nine people at his funeral, so it was recorded and sort of, like, live-streamed, so people could be there with us. And we opted for a cremation, and at first, um, a burial wasn't even on the cards because of COVID and the amount of deaths. They weren't doing burials. um, And actually now thinking about it we both probably wouldn't have opted for a burial anyway because we didn't he was only 10 months old we didn't have us a, a set place yeah so yeah he's home with us now and we find um, we find a lot of comfort in that yeah. Yeah. losing a child is something that parents it's
1: not the order of things it's not is not what should happen but I just but then for that just exactly as the whole place is going into the lockdown and and you really got this sense last year especially in March and I feel this listening to your story people were they didn't know what to do they were in freeze mode and they were like I don't I don't know how I can help here and i I can imagine in the hospital as well, from from the moment you came into contact, obviously, with the, sounds like amazing staff, both at your yes. local hospital and then at John Radcliffe, you know, they were trying to navigate this completely new experience alongside probably just their hearts going out to you and Craig mm. beyond belief, wanting to do, to do what, you know, what they could for you. And, and suddenly all these restrictions are swooping in. Such yes. a surreal time on top of everything else. Such a bizarre, yeah.
2: abstract time. It was difficult because, um, as I said, you know, we didn't, we didn't know what had really happened. You know, you're not taking anything in. You yeah. know, I just, you just hear those words of he's no longer here um we're mm-hmm. medically we're taking that decision out of your yeah. hands and the the i just i you know at that point i said i can't i can't do this yeah. i yeah. can't do this and and the doctor looked at me and she said you can you brought him into this world and you will walk him out and that's sort of it, it that sticks with yeah. me um and, and we did that i don't know how but we did um yeah, yeah it was really tough and i suppose seeking help was quite hard afterwards because of doctor's appointments were all over the phone you know i remember contacting the doctor when we got home and we were in need of help you know yes. we both said to each other when we got in the lift to come down from john radcliffe we need help yeah. we can't we can't do yeah. this um and uh it you know the doctor's appointments were all over the phone. you know just by the phone and they just diagnosed us with antidepressants and sleeping tablets and and, you know things like that and eventually we got into touch with our main doctor at our doctor surgery and he was great he just said I'm getting you in I yeah. I need to see you and he you know he brought us in and, and at that point we'd had blood work done to see if we were genetic carriers um so they he could see from the blood work that we didn't have COVID and actually it turned out that Grayson didn't have COVID as well they got his results back and he didn't right. have COVID so yeah, yeah it's um it, it you know getting help after that was a while you know we we eventually found a counsellor um who we're still seeing now jenny thomas um Brilliant. who set up uh, child bereavement uk and she's just been incredible and that was through a little local charity that funded um you know counselling support for bereaved parents um yeah and it's just been it has been amazing the support that we've received
0: and it's so important to reach out for that support isn't it yes. and kind of you know to access those charities and and you know get get as much help as you can really absolutely absolutely
1: but you've also offered support as well Faye, because you and Craig obviously have started um Grayson's Legacy Support yes you've got a yes. beautiful website where other bereaved parents can go to other yeah. bereaved parents of any sort but especially who've experienced rare disease like you yes have, is something that you obviously and Craig understandably are incredibly passionate about. And you also work closely with Rosie's Rainbow Fund and Teddy's Wish. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yes, yes. So Rosie's Rainbow Fund is the fund um or the, the charity that actually funded our counselling. So Jenny works with Rosie's Rainbow as as well as many other charities and it was funded counselling which actually yeah. as a bereaved parent yeah. um And COVID, we most probably couldn't have afforded it ourselves. You know, those financial struggles are, you know, that's just one thing that you don't need to be dealing with when you are a bereaved parent. Um, And Teddy's Wish fund exactly the same. They fund counselling support and Jenny also works with Teddy's Wish as well. And they also fully fund, um, they fully fund research into uh, child illnesses and, um, you know, baby loss and uh, they also fully fund retreats, which um, we were very grateful to be able to attend last year. So when the lockdown was lifted, we attended a uh, retreat um, from Teddy's Wish and it gathers bereaved parents together and we 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 did various activities during the day. So a mindfulness practice or you could go into the walled gardens and um, take pictures of all the flowers and, you know, just be there or you go on a really beautiful country walk and we did a really great um just using magazine cutouts and explaining where you are so just using different ways I suppose to explain where you are as as a person and what you've been feeling and just connecting with other bereaved parents and actually that's where I met Tawny we met Tawny at that retreat um along with a lot of other parents that Uh, we've actually been in constant contact with Mm -hmm. and it was just incredible so what we wanted to do for Grayson's Legacy Support Trust was basically join that team you know Mm -hmm, joy you know and 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 I suppose it's our way of parenting Grayson you know that's that's the only thing that we can do for him now is to spread his smile Mm -hmm. to raise awareness for A&E and rare disease Rare diseases and to support other bereaved parents because we know what that's yeah. like. So yes, yeah, so we've been doing some various fundraisings, and I think last year it was roughly around about ten thousand that Amazing. we had raised, oh, yes. which was great. So we had a friend do an ultra marathon; he ran a hundred kilometres in one day. Wow! <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> incredible. And then we had our beautiful nephew Ollie, who um, was is nine years old, and he climbed mountains. Soden. Um Aww. yeah so there's just been various li- little bake-offs and things and what we have actually now been able to do it's not yet been released but we have been able to raise enough to fully fund the residential retreat for teddy's wish this year so that's five thousand oh, well pounds um so. and it's a whole weekend so hopefully with covid they can do it for a whole weekend whereas we just had sort of a one day because we couldn't stay over but that's now fully funded from grayson's legacy support trust in memory yeah. and of honor Amazing. of grayson which is great um and later on this year we are going to also be fully funding two courses uh, for mindfulness for grief with tawny which is just amazing so it's just trying to think of the things that we can do i mean i've just recently done a mindfulness course myself with amy polly and i met amy through the baby loss awareness month that tawny had carried out for teddy's yes. wish yes. it's just been amazing you know it's really really helped me in my everyday um And yeah, and I've sort of I've now I've seen that myself. I've just thought, you know, this, this is something that we could help, you know, we could Mm. offer parents. So yeah, so we're going to be doing that later on in the year. So yeah, and we've sort of we've um, started to reach out with our merchandise as well. So we released our bottles. Oh, i saw those on the website but they were sold out yeah so we've got <laughs> so, the tumblers are on at the moment fantastic. so we've got about 14 yeah. tumblers um and obviously the yellow is is us um, it's such a lovely color actually i saw them and thought oh what a
0: nice color <laughs> yeah
2: yeah so it's just um obviously merchandise is um it's more about the sort of the brand awareness and of then course, yeah you know raising awareness because people will go well, what's that logo yes. you know that sort of thing so and we've had little cards printed with a QR code so they can just literally show them a card they can scan it and it will take them through to the website so yeah it's um it's been a journey that we never obviously thought that we would ever be on but the support has just been incredible you know absolutely incredible and like you say it does take that reaching out but with lockdown that was we literally felt like we had just been punished you know it was like go yes. home sit in your four walls of your house that's got everything of your child in it oh, you know yeah. we came home to oh, the towels on the floor the travel caught up his his toys out his high chair and um it, it just felt like we were being punished you know that's where you need to stay with nobody around you and we kind of just had to go right what are we going to do with this mm. you know how are we how are we going to continue parenting Grayson and yes. what can we do and you ca- you're so beautifully
1: carrying Grayson with you through your lives mm. and yeah. you should be so proud of yourself from what oh, you've created with Grayson's you. legacy because think about all the people you're touching who mm. and you're absolutely right you're their tribe yeah yeah and and being able to have what you're offering all of the things that you and craig have put your energy and let's bring craig into this too because i know that we're talking to you yes he's a huge part of this absolutely and you're both grayson's parents and and through doing what you do that's grayson he's doing that yes
2: yes yeah he gives us that you know he gives us that strength and everyone always says how are you so strong i don't know how but you you don't know you're that strong until you really need to be you know and of course we've we've we we well you know we will always have our our moments where we don't want to get out of bed and um you know there were some really really dark dark times at the beginning um and you know but once again that by talking about it it breaks that taboo down um because as you quite rightly said uh at the at the beginning you know it's it's not the the norm you know we are we are brought into this world of you you grow up you meet somebody you have a baby and it's beautiful and it's easy and you die before your children and you've lived a full life grace never yeah. even got to that point and for me it was like well, we just didn't recognise the world and we've literally had to learn to walk again. You know, it it strips you of everything that you believe and it strips you of everything that you know and you don't ever and and i think one of the hardest things is you don't recognize yourself at all
0: what you're doing right now is just so important and going back to what lex said about you know you're creating a space like a to to hold other people and being their tribe you know it it, baby, baby loss is still such a taboo subject isn't it and it can be like clients that we work with find it so isolating and you know people don't know what to say and so often they don't say anything but you, you know you want to still talk about your baby and share stories and you know so um it's so nice that you're providing that space for people as well yeah
2: yeah it's um like you say we just we just don't want anyone to ever feel alone you know And you can't say that enough um mm. saying nothing is worse than just saying I'm really sorry. I don't know what to say. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, we're not expecting you to have, you know, we're not built with the vocabulary yeah. and the understanding of knowing how to deal with this. And that's what it's trying to, you know, that's what you try to to get over to everybody is that you you don't you we don't want you and we don't need you to know what's the right thing yeah. to say because there is no right to say. Yeah. You know, yeah. the worst thing has happened. So, yes. And at this point I always say is you you can't say anything that will hurt me as much as i have been you know mm-hmm. nothing can tear us down um any more than we have been mm-hmm. you know it's and, and and also what it's hard but and it's, a, it's a hard thing to accept but it it takes the bereaved to be the ones that step forward and say it's okay for you to talk about my baby it's okay for you to mention them and it's okay to not know what to say but please don't distance yourself from us
0: that's really good advice actually to kind of to 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 reach out and say say like almost kind of um what's the word like set your bound not boundaries but you know let people know that it's okay i guess that's i remember
1: um i think i've mentioned this beforehand but it's just something that really really stuck with me over the years is I remember Nigella Lawson who quite famously back in the 90s I think it was lost her sister and her husband within months of each other to cancer and she wrote a she said you know she said controversial as it is you know obviously her cookbooks she wrote a whole section called food for a funeral and she wrote these beautiful recipes and she says just make this and leave it on someone's doorstep mm. who who is going through hell and back and just let them know you've got them yeah. and you know when when the moment's right but i and i remember it really stuck with me because of course you get these books full of all the happy celebration times but there are you know gr- there's nothing like grief or bereavement to feel like you need to be completely scooped up by your people yeah
2: yeah absolutely absolutely and yeah we um Unfortunately, that was taken away from us. But, you know, we are, we are, we're very fortunate in the fact that we just had family that just went, fuck this. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah. coming round. You know, I had my, my, uh, one of my best friends bless her. And so she was heavily pregnant with her first baby. And, um, beautiful Otto came on the day of Grayson's funeral. I just think that there's that it, it was a massive sign and I do find you know real comfort in that mm. and um, and she called and she said I just I don't know what to say and i said that's fine yeah. that's absolutely okay and i said you know covid's hit and i can't get a delivery slot and i need to clean and you know for me it was oh. like i need to clean i need a bacteria of the handles and and she just came and she just delivered a box of cleaning products and she just <laughs> yeah. put them on my doorstep and drove yes. away and i just was so grateful for that yeah you know i was so grateful for bleach because yeah. <laughs> to me i just needed to be doing something you know yes. and um You know, I had another friend that came and dropped a colouring book on the doorstep and some that dropped, like, say, a meal and the neighbour dropped round a cake and it was just what you needed. And they still found a way, even with COVID and it being so fresh and raw and of just going, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm just going to do it. Um, so
0: brilliant. Yeah.
2: Leading on from that,
0: we always like to finish by asking our guests if you... If you could sort of share some words or a little bit of advice to uh, another parent who's bereaved and you know grieving the loss of a, a baby or child, what what would you like to say to them? If anyone's listening, first
2: of all, I'm so sorry that you have joined this club that no parent wishes to be a part of. You're not alone. Your journey and your story is your own and you won't find anybody as a bereaved parent you search for answers and you long to find people that's what we did in our early stages of people that have experienced it and what you actually do is you open your heart to everyone's grief you know you take it on because you feel their pain not exactly their pain because their pain is their pain and your pain is your pain no two stories and no two losses and deaths are the same it's it's yours and that's a part of you that will always remain yours but there are so many people out there to reach out to there's lots of different resources don't ever feel that if you've been turned away or you didn't get anywhere with the first call of help that that's it because it's it's not it comes in all different forms um books different charities and trusts um socials you know there are so so many different um places out there so just don't give up you're not alone amazing and we'll make sure that we
0: put all the links to your charities and any others in the in the show notes so that people can reach out and Thanks so much, Faye, for coming and talking to us and sharing your gorgeous boy with us today. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thanks once again to Faye for joining us today and talking so honestly about the life and death of her baby boy, Grayson. If you or someone you
1: know has been affected by baby loss, please look in our show notes where we have added links to charities and organisations that can offer help and support. Take care and see you next time on Notes from the Mother Box.